How many people know that he's great? Amen. Uh, we're going to start a series uh, this week, and for the next six weeks, we're going to be talking about uh, becoming more than a believer. Uh, you see, God has called us to make a difference in the world around us. Uh, I don't know about you, but every time I, I, I watch the news or read the newspaper uh, or read uh, stories online, I'm concerned about our nation. I'm concerned about our families. And I believe that the local church is the hope of the world. I mean, Jesus said that, that he wanted to build his church and that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. So Jesus, I'm looking to the church, not only to, to hold ground, but to gain ground. He, he said, and it begins with us. It begins with us. It's not about just having Christianity in name only. But it's about living it out. It, it's, it begins with you and it begins with me. And so over the next six weeks, we're going to look at the qualities of a disciple. You see, what we possess, uh, not as believers, but as disciples. And you see, there's a big difference. There is a huge difference. God is looking to us. He tells us, if my people who are called by my name. He said, if you will do these things that I can change. And that things can change. And that our world can change. And that our families can change. And we begin to look at in our own life the difference that God has made in our life. And when we begin to look at that, we have to understand that the same difference he's made in our life, he can make in the lives of someone else. And so over the next six weeks, we're going to look at the difference in the believers and disciples. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, he said this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And then verse 20 goes on to say, got to go old school here. Somebody say, bless him, Jesus. Matthew shouldn't be that hard to find, right? Oh, man. Do you hate it when the pages stick together? And then verse 20 says, Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. He said, it is up to you. It is up to me. He said, go and make disciples. Now, the way that I see it is, you can't make disciples if you're not one. The only way that you can make a disciple, uh, someone said, well, you can't make a disciple. That's not what this says. This says, go make disciples. It is up to you and it's up to me to take what God has done in our lives and to transfer that to others. God wants to make us more than a believer. Believer is only mentioned two times in the Bible, but the word disciple is mentioned almost 270 times. And all throughout the Bible, Jesus would contrast believers and disciples. And he's not doing that. And he's not comparing them to condemn us. 
He's not doing it to say, you, this is what you are and this is what you need to be. No, but he's, he's not trying to manipulate us. But what he's saying is, is he's trying to challenge us to take the next step. All around you this morning, there are people, and we believe that there are people who are in different stages of their journey. How many people know we're all on a journey? And we're all at different points. And how we respond to what God is calling us to is what's going to make the difference. The world is looking at our response. How do we respond to this Jesus that we preach? How do we respond to this Jesus that we proclaim? You see, moving from a believer to a disciple is a process. It does not happen overnight. It does not just, you don't wake up one morning and say, okay, I've advanced. It's a process. And so this morning, the, the first thing we want to talk about is, the first thing we must do to become more than a believer is that we must determine in our heart that we're going to have passionate commitment. Passionate commitment to Jesus Christ. And in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33, Jesus begins to raise the bar. He begins to, to start telling people, this is what it takes to be my disciple. And it's some heavy stuff. He says it's not going to be easy. But the first quality of becoming passionately committed. How many people know that being committed is something that's hard to do? Because when you become committed, you, you think that, that, okay, this is final. I'm committed to this process. I'm committed. And what Christ wants us to do is He wants us to become passionately committed to Him. And the first thing that we must do is we must begin to live obedient, not obligated. A disciple lives obedient, not obligated. Listen to what He said in, in chapter 14, verse 26 of the book of Luke. If anyone comes to me and does not hate Father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yet, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now you read that and you think, whoa. I mean, because we know that the Bible teaches us that, that we're supposed to honor our father and mother. We know that, that the Bible teaches us that we're to love our wives as Christ has loved the church. We know that He's called us to raise our children and to love them and to raise them in the admonition of the Lord. So what is Jesus trying to say here? What is He trying to say? I believe that through this verse, He's saying that no matter how close or how devoted or, or what a relationship or a person has done for you or what you're scared that they may be able to do to you, you cannot let anything come before Him. When I started talking to Christy back in 1992, uh, we began, we met on the, the, the very first block party that they had. We hadn't been on, she hadn't been on campus uh, 24 hours. And she scoped me out. Father, forgive me for I've sinned. But we began to talk, and, and she was 12 hours away from home, and uh, 
you know, I took advantage of that situation. I had a car, and she didn't. It was like, you know, you need to go to Walmart. You need to go to McDonald's. I'm here. And so we began to talk. But for about six months, she just could not make up her mind. She could not make that commitment because this was a whole new world. And just like I had scoped her out, there were probably other guys who had done the same thing. And we would talk every night, but just making that commitment was difficult. Now, for me, it wasn't. I was, I was ready to make the commitment. Let's just get married right now. But there came a point in time in this relationship that I, I had to look at her, and I will never forget it the day that I live. And I was bluffing because I told her, you either make up your mind right now or it's over. It was a bluff, honey. But she was young enough and naive enough to believe that I was serious. But I needed to know. I was tired of the roller coaster. And we all lived happily ever after. But just as that came to a point in that relationship, Jesus wants to know where you stand. And he will test that based on your closest relationship. And as I begin to look at it, I think, now Jesus left his father to come to this earth to live to save me. And if he was willing to leave that relationship to come to this earth to, to rescue me, to pay for my transgressions, to pay for my sins, that I can leave every relationship that threatens my relationship with him. Is it difficult? Yes. Is it tough? Yes. But God is looking for it. He's looking for us to put Him first above everything else. When you get married, you know, your, your, your father and your mother, they, take this, they, they, they raise you. Those people that take care of you. But when that spouse comes into your life... There has to come a point in time, Mom and Dad, I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for raising me. But at the end of the day, it's me and my wife. At the end of the day, I have to, to make decisions for me and my wife. And when Christ comes into our life, we have to make the determination in our heart, God, it's me and you. And every decision that I make, you're going to be the first person that I consider, that relationship with you, and I'm not going to make any, any decisions, I'm not going to let any relationships come before me and you. You see, obligation is the enemy to obedience. Have you ever felt obligated to a relationship? When you feel obligated to a relationship, you, you, you feel handcuffed. And we always feel obligated to those who have done stuff for us. You know, if they come to, to your child's birthday party and buy a gift, and you've got 47,000 things to do on the day that they're having their child's birthday party, what do you do? You feel obligated, right? No matter what, you feel like, I have to go. I've got to go get a gift. You forget about it. It's 1 o'clock in the morning, and, and the, the party's at 9 a.m., and you, you, oh, man, I've got to get a gift. You feel obligated. Now, if they didn't come to your kid's birthday party, you don't feel nearly as obligated, do you? Well, they didn't come to mine. I'm not going to theirs. 
But there's, sometimes we're obligated to relationships because we're scared of what they can do to us. Well, if I don't do this. But you see, sometimes there are relationships that in our life that God will ask us to walk away from because they're keeping us from, from taking our next step. You live obedient, not obligated. Secondly, a disciple lives sacrificing, not selfish. Man, how many people, we live in a selfish world, don't we? To find and to have the quality of somebody who is willing to sacrifice when it's not convenient, it's not common. But a true disciple will live sacrificing, not selfish. Uh, let's look what he said in verse 27. He said, And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now what was a cross meant for? It wasn't meant for selfish purposes. A cross was meant, it, it was meant for sacrificing. It was meant for death. So he's saying, if you do not die to yourself, that doesn't sound exciting, does it? He said, but if you don't do that, you can't be my disciple. You see, the cross wasn't made for something comfortable. And there was going to come a time in your life that he's going to ask you to sacrifice something that's going to cost you. And believers, when it gets to that point, believers will be selfish. Okay, God, it's been me and you to this point, but I ain't doing that. I'm not sacrificing that. But a disciple, that's what he says here, a disciple will be willing to sacrifice. And Jesus said we can become like him. Was he selfish or sacrificing? He could have saved himself. He didn't have to go to the cross. The Bible said that he could have called angels to rescue him, but he didn't. He went to the cross, sacrificing himself for us. Now, what God may be asking me to give up, to sacrifice, may be something different than what he's asking you to. You see, there will be a time that he asks us to give up a way of life or a lifestyle that's not reflective of him. We're familiar with the passage of Scripture found in Mark chapter 10, verse 21, where Jesus said, Jesus looked at him and loved him. He said, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. Now, a lot of people read that, that God is saying that, that we have to be poor and destitute. That's not what I believe Jesus is saying here. You see, the rich young ruler, because of his riches, he had become accustomed to a certain lifestyle. When you have money, you become accustomed to a certain way of life. And Jesus has the ability... To try to change that one thing. When you read this passage of Scripture before that, you see that the rich young ruler said, I've done all of these things since I was a child. And Jesus is saying, I love the way that you're living. But right now with me, I'm calling you to a different lifestyle. 
And God has a way to speak to your one thing. The lifestyle that is not reflective of a disciple. The the way of living that's not reflective of, of Him. And He's saying, will you give it up? Will you stop it? Will you surrender? Will you sacrifice it? You see, your cross isn't the person that's sitting too long at the, at the red light. Your cross to bear is, is not your boss. It's not the people that you work with. It's not your pesky neighbor. God will speak to you and say, this way of life isn't a lifestyle of a disciple. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we see all of these things that Christ lists out. And he said, do not be deceived. Here are all these things, and they used to be you. But you aren't that way anymore. You are new people with a new lifestyle. And in in our Christianity, we must be willing that our, our walk must equal our talk. The world is not listening to your words. They're looking at your life. They were for Jesus. They were looking at his life. But you know what? Jesus lived it. And because he lived it, it gave him credibility. And with credibility brings authority. If you want to lead your family to Christ, if you want to change our city, if you want to bring people to the saving knowledge of Jesus, then we have to have authority. And to have authority, we must be credible. When people look at our lives, we can't be saying one thing and doing something else. We have to be sacrificing. We have to be willing to give. We have to be selfless. Thirdly, a disciple lives by design, not by default. They live by design, not by default. We talked about it in our Wednesday Life group, about living And doing things intentionally, by design. There's going to be times in life, let me just ask you, how many people have ever been disappointed? Anybody ever been disappointed? Your spouse told you, your husband told you that he was going to wash the dishes and you come home and they're not washed? Let me ask you a much tougher question. And remember, honesty is the best policy. Most of the time. How many people have ever been disappointed in God? Come on. We all have. We all have. God, I think you should do it this way. I think you should do it now. I think you should do it in my time. But then we read that His ways aren't my ways and His thoughts aren't my thoughts. But what happens is, is when that happens, it creates disappointment. We find that in the gospel, a bunch of people had come to Jesus and they, had, they needed food. They said, we don't have enough food to feed them. And Jesus right there, he, he just, voila, whips, whips up a meal. Enough for everyone. He feeds them. But then we begin to read on in the next chapters. And there was another group of people that came to him looking for that same thing, following that miracle. And Jesus said, no, today we're not eating. Today this lesson is about me. 
Today, I want you to understand that I am the bread of life. And that you need to receive from me. I'm the one that you need to hunger for. And unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. He said, it's not just about what I can do for you. And the way that you respond to disappointment determines whether or not you can be his disciple. In John chapter 6, we read that when this happened, and Jesus told them this lesson, and he didn't provide for them the fish and the loaves like that they wanted him to, it says that by the groves they begin to walk away. They begin to leave. And Jesus looks at Peter, and he says, what about you? What about you guys? What about you 12? Are you going to walk away like they are? Peter, are you going to react like them? And what did Peter say? He said, no. We're going to stay right here. Why? Because they were true disciples of him. Those ones who were disappointed, they went back to living life by default. How many people know that, that we have a default way to live? That we were born into sin. We were born into this world sinners. And that's the, the default way that we were born to live. But when we make a decision to follow Him, we start living our life by design. So they were disappointed because Jesus didn't do exactly what He wanted them to do. And this disappointment led them to going back to the way that they were living before. There's going to be times that you're disappointed in God because He doesn't do what you want Him to do, what you expect Him to do, and how you expect Him to do it. When we first got out of college, we were still living in Cleveland, and we were, the old saying, poor in Job's turkeys. And here we were, huge college debt that we still have. I'm depressed. I'm disappointed. I think I'm going to quit. But here I have this pastoral degree and I'm thinking, man, I should, I'm going to get a job and we're going to start working on this. And we get a call from her parents. Hey, they're wanting to, to hire a youth pastor. And your dad wants to know if you're interested. And at that point, I'm thinking, yeah, I'll go anywhere, God. I don't care. Even if it's Pennsylvania, I'll go. And I said, this has to be God. It has to be. I mean, what is, the, what is the likelihood that just at this moment that this is going to come about? <coughs> Excuse me. So after a period of time, they call back and they say, church said no. I said, what? They don't even, they've never even met me. I didn't even get an interview. Church people are mean. And I was disappointed in God. We were disappointed in God. What are we going to do? Then the Holy Spirit began to speak and said, hey, there's this pastor. The pastor's in the big city of Charleston. His church is not that big, and it's up a holler. It was up a holler, wasn't it? I want you to go there. 
I called the pastor. I'm thinking, it's got to be God. He says, yeah, we'd love for you to come. We ain't got no money. We ain't got no youth. We got three kids. Come on. And we felt the urge to go. There have been times I've asked God why. And I ended up having to get a job. I didn't even know Ashland existed. But I ended up having to get a job in Charleston as a debt collector calling people who owned, owed money to KDMC, King's Daughter Medical Center. And here I am. I had to make up a fake name, and I couldn't let people. And I'm thinking, God, what are you doing? I've got a degree. I'm making seven bucks an hour getting yelled at and cussed at because they're not paying their bills. This is ludicrous. But I begin to, now that I can look back, how many people know that it's always, it's always great when you get on the other side and you can look back and say, ah, oh, I see it now, God. But at that moment, it would have been very easy to say, forget it. God, you've, you, you've not answered this the way that it needs to be answered. It would have been very easy to be disappointed in God. It would have been very easy to go back to living by default. I didn't want to be a preacher anyway. I ain't lying. I had bigger aspirations. But if we're not willing to take the disappointment, Look what he says in, in verse 28. He said, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you. Saying, this person began, began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able to, with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. Now, how does that fit in here? What he is saying is, he says, a disciple has the ability to finish. That when they start something, they look at the cost and they realize that they have the ability to finish. And if we're going to be a disciple of Christ, we have to come to a point in our lives where we says, God, no matter what, no matter what, no matter if I feel disappointed, no matter if I feel like that, that I, I just can't make it, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to finish this race that you've set before me. Everything hinges on it. 2 Timothy 4, 7 says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 
You see, Paul faced disappointments. He was shipwrecked. He was hungry. He was left for dead. He was whipped three times with 39 lashes. He had been alone. He had been hurting. But at the end of his life, he said, Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And if we want to be a true disciple of Christ, we have to understand and realize that when everything in us wants to quit, when everything in us wants to walk away, We keep going. A believer lives by default. A disciple lives by design. Lastly, a disciple lives reckless and not reasoning. A disciple cannot be talked out of the things that God asks them to do. There'll be times in your life that God asks you to do something and you look at it and you think, hmm, no. Not happening. And you walk away. But verse 33 says this. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything. Say that with me. Everything. One more time. Everything. You know what everything means? Everything. You cannot be my disciples. You see, the way that we value something determines what we are willing to give. How many people like going to yard sales? Oh, come on. My wife loves it. I hate it. We went to one yesterday. She's like, oh, ain't this nice? I said, no. Wouldn't this look good for Christmas? I said, no. We need these wreaths. To help decorate the church? I was like, no. They're in my trunk right now. <laughs> and you better get them out. Okay, I'll get them. But now I like going to, say, some of these stores that we have around here. That they get, you know, secondhand stuff or overstock or that kind of stuff. And Google is a great thing. Maybe going to the pawn shop. And you get on Google and you you look at it and I'm looking at the model number and I'm typing it in and I see, man, that is worth a whole lot more than what they're asking. Now most of you, even though you may see, you're just that kind of person that you still want to see if they'll take, you know, 25 cents less. But for most of us, We look at it and we're thinking, man, I've got to get this bought before they realize the mistake that they're making. Because it's worth a whole lot more and I'm willing to give exactly what they're asking. I'm willing to give everything because I value what I'm getting. You see what it's worth and you're willing to pay Exactly what it is that they're asking. And Jesus says to you and, and to I. He said, I want you to see my worth. I want you to see my worth. And if we could ever get a glimpse. If we could ever understand how much that he is worth. Then giving everything will be no issue. Giving everything 
We're not going to try to negotiate and say, God, I, I, I know what you're worth. I'm willing to give everything. We're not going to try to say, well, God, I'll give you this, but I'm not going to give you that. God, I'll do this, but I'm not willing to do that. If you could ever just get a hold of how much he is actually worth. When the woman broke open the alabaster jar, she didn't just pour out half a jar. It said she poured it all out. Because she knew that thing, that perfume that she had in that jar was no comparison to what he was worth. She poured it all out. And God is calling us to live our life as fully devoted followers, as fully devoted disciples. When we don't feel obligated, when we're not living selfishly, when we're not holding anything back, when we're not wanting to, to go back and live as de in default, but we're willing to live by design because we've fully committed to Him the same way that He fully committed to us. That's what he's calling us to. And as I said when we first started this, I said that we are all in different points in our journey. You may be here this morning. You say, Pastor, I have never made that decision to become a believer. Well, that's the first step. That's the first step. Or you may be here and you may say, Pastor, I made that decision a long time ago. But I'm at a point in my life that, that, that I feel stagnant. I feel like that I've never taken that next step. I feel like that, that I've still stayed in the same place. I've never made the decision. I've never made the commitment to be passionate about my relationship with Him. but I know I need to. You see, no matter where you are, God knows. And no matter where you are, there's a next step. As you bow your head this morning, take just a moment. Say, Pastor, I know that I need him in my life. I know that maybe you're at one time following him and something happened, you were hurt. You were disappointed and you walked away. That may be the point that you are in your journey. But God wants you to know this morning, He sees your hurt, He sees your disappointment, He sees exactly where you are. And He's saying, I'm still right here. I still love you.
I still care about you. I still have something for you to do. If you're here this morning and that's you, you've never been a believer or at one point you were following after him and, and something caused you to, to walk away, I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Pastor, I've never made that decision. Pastor, I need to get back to where I was. Anyone else? It's the most important decision you will ever make. You may think that you're here this morning just by accident or because of circumstances. Nothing happens that way. Anybody else? Would you like to join the several that raised their hand? second group of people I want to speak to is you may be here this morning and say, Pastor, I'm a believer, but I'm not a disciple. I'm a believer, but I'm not passionate about my relationship with him. I'm a believer, but I put other things before him all the time. Listen, I'm not here to condemn you. Yes, thank you. Holy Spirit, move in this place. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The Bible tells us that, that he didn't come into this world to condemn us, but that we could have life. And the enemy wants you to think that because you mess up and because that you make mistakes, that you're not worthy to receive his love. It's a lie. The Bible tells us that, that Satan is the father of lies, and he wants to fill your head with that. But I want to tell you this morning that God is a God of love, and that we all sin, and we all miss the mark, and we're all on this journey together. He said, just take the next step. Not backward, but toward me. If that's you, Pastor, I need to be more passionate about my commitment to Christ. Will you slip up your hand? Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you all across this building. Thank you. As they play and begin to sing, I couldn't leave this place without giving those of you who responded by lifting your hand, the opportunity to come to this altar and for us to practice what it is that we preach as a church. You say, what is that? We believe that you do not have to go through life alone. And we have a prayer team who is ready to pray with you, to cry with you, to hold you up. Be your Aaron and her that when you're weary we're there for you. And God wants you to have an encounter with him this morning. So as everyone stands and as they begin to sing
you love 